Well, it was a few weeks back now that I was kind of trolling the cable stations and came across a very interesting infomercial that arrested my attention immediately. Maybe it's because of a deep-seated fear I have or something, but it was uh, advertising a new hair loss uh, product. Uh, not how to lose hair, but how to prevent uh, the loss of hair or how to deal with hair loss. And it was really amazing because all around this stage, they had these huge blown up pictures of before and after shots of people suffering from various degrees of hair loss. And what you saw was generally the back of their head. So you just saw this big shot of the back of someone's head, and then they would pull a little curtain down, and then they would show the after shot. And you could hear in the studio audience, the ooh, Oh, and then they go to the next one. You could hear people just it took their breath away. It was so amazing to see this big bald spot. And then the next minute hair, a miracle. And after several minutes of this uh, sufficiently, you know, arousing your curiosity and amazement with all of the before and after pictures, then the creator of the product, Ron Popeil, came out to reveal to everyone the mystery product that was performing such miracles for those suffering from hair loss. And the product he presented was a can of spray paint. Have you seen this? It's a can of spray paint. And what they do is they find people that have bald spots and then they match up the color and then you pick your can color of spray paint. And then they just showed you how in three easy steps you can take care of your bald spot by just spraying the paint on the bald spot. Then they have another little can that sprays something like angel hair that kind of sticks on top of the spray paint. I'm not kidding you. And then there's a finishing spray that just finishes it off perfectly. And it was amazing. People were buying it like crazy, spray painting their heads to take care of the bald spot. It's really amazing as human beings, isn't it? How mesmerized, how interested we are in transformation, in in before and after kinds of makeovers. We want to believe that bad things can be changed to good things and that there can be lasting transformation because we hope that it can happen for us as well. If we ever lose our hair or if we ever gain too much weight or whatever it might be, we hope that there's some kind of miracle product that will change us into what we desire to be. If it didn't work, Madison Avenue wouldn't spend multiple billions of dollars every year with those kinds of infomercials showing the miraculous after pictures. In fact, Hollywood has recently got on the bandwagon. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. I mean, you'd almost have to be living in another country not to notice the the slew of television programming now that's being done by Hollywood. That's all makeovers. You know, there's Dr. 90210 on the entertainment network where they just show a litany of people coming into plastic surgeons. I don't like this. I don't like that. And so they show the before pictures and then the miraculous after picture. Perfection, beauty. And then there's extreme makeover on TV and extreme makeover home edition. Even homes need makeovers. And you see the before, the shanty, the leaky roof, the, all of those things, and then the after. And we all sit there and go, oh, oh, it's amazing. Even young people now have bought into the makeover 
kind of thing. Uh, on MTV, I don't know if you're aware, it doesn't look like an MTV crowd this morning, but on MTV, they have a program called I Want to Be Made. And what it is is young people, 19, 20 year olds, who say, I want to be someone else. They're, they're kind of the school geek and they want to become the star athlete. Or there's some kind of, you know, girl who's the wallflower and she wants to be the head cheerleader. And so they bring in a makeover expert and work with them for like, I don't know, 64 hours or something amazing, you know, to help them transform their lives before and after. And then there's Celebrity Fit Club and and there's The Biggest Loser. And you could go on and on with all of these makeover shows because as people, we're amazed by them. We want somehow it to be true that people, ordinary people can be made over and transformed and perfected. Now, the sad thing about all of those makeover programs is they're dealing with very superficial makeovers. Can you change the house? Yes. But it's going to get worn out and old again in a matter of years. The roof will again leak. The floor will again need to be replaced. Can you do plastic surgery and change your body? Yes. But in 10 years, the implants will burst and leak maybe and need to be replaced. We've all seen that on TV. It's not forever. It's not eternal. The best we can do is superficial makeovers. But this morning in the book of Ephesians, I want to share with you the most amazing makeover. It's not a superficial makeover. It's not going to change the way you look, unfortunately, at least not here and now. Someday it will change the way you look. But it's an eternal makeover that the Apostle Paul talks about. That's true of all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Because in these 10 verses, the Apostle Paul shares with us two important pictures, a before picture of us and an after picture of us. And the transformation that takes place between these before and after shots that Paul paints for us are absolutely revolutionary. They truly are miraculous and amazing. And so I want you to listen to what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10. And I want you to be thinking of yourself during this message today. I don't want you to think of your wife or your girlfriend or boyfriend or your neighbor or that troublesome person in your life. I want you to think about you. Because this makeover is true for each of us personally, individually. And listen to what Paul says. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But... Because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that is an amazing makeover. Two incredibly stark before and after pictures that are true of each of us who are Christ followers this morning. And I want us to take a closer look at the before and after pictures because the before picture represents us dead in our sins. That's our before picture spiritually. Dead in our sins. Look at what Paul says here. Again, in verses one through three, he couldn't be more clear with the language he chooses to use. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. He does not say that you were struggling with your transgressions. He doesn't say that you were just kind of bad. He doesn't say that you were wrong. He says you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I mean, that's amazing. Paul says very simply, in an absolute, universal kind of statement, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, and you were deserving of God's absolute wrath. But because of God's great mercy, because of God's amazing grace, there was a transformation that took place. And this before picture no longer represents any of us because we have an aftershot that represents the transformation that has taken place. And again, Paul doesn't just say that we were spiritually misguided. He doesn't say that we were in spiritual hibernation. He doesn't say that we were lost as the euphemism we always use in Christian circles. No, Paul says we were spiritually Dead. Now, what exactly does it mean to be dead? This is not figurative language necessarily Paul is using in a spiritual sense. Just as a physical body can be physically dead, which means there is an absence of life. It does not move. It is not susceptible to pain or feeling or emotions. It can't see. It can't hear. A dead body is absent of every sign of life. And Paul says we were spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins. Like I said, we weren't just slow. We weren't just kind of lost or misguided. We were spiritually dead. There were no signs of spiritual life in us. 
Something had to take place from outside to energize our spirit and bring it back to life in Christ. And Paul says that because we were dead in sin, our life was really under the control of three different deadly influences. And and it really is a representative of how dead spiritually we really were. And the first influence, deadly influence that we were under the control of, Paul says, is that we were under the control of this world. We were under the control and the sway and the influence of this world. Look at the first half of verse two again. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The word world that Paul uses there is the Greek word cosmos. It's used 186 times in the New Testament. And every single time it's used, it's used in reference to this evil world system, in a sense, that operates apart from God. He's not talking about the physical planet. He's talking about the world system that is in opposition to the ways and the purposes and the plan and the kingdom of God. And Paul says that we were under the influence of this present world system, that what this world system said we believed and we did just like so many sheep being led by someone else. We didn't have the ability to fight against that necessarily. In our spiritual condition and in the world today, that's exactly what we see. We see a world that often is ruled by majority rule or whatever popular opinion is. The vast majority of people, it seems like, just jump onto that bad wagon and say, well, it must be true. I mean, if 54 percent of the population says abortion is okay and it's a matter of choice, it must be okay. If popular opinion says that regardless of what we say or regardless of what we teach, teenagers are still going to have sex outside of wedlock. Well, hey, it's going to happen. What can we say? Why bother ourselves if that's how it's going to go? If the majority opinion is that homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle that should be acceptable, then who are we to say that it's not? And under the present world system, For people who don't have any spiritual sensitivity, who are not alive spiritually, but as the Bible says, no, I'm not saying this, and I I know it's not very PC or very popular today, but I didn't write this book, someone else did. And it's God's eternal truth. And he says that apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. He didn't create us that way. He created us completely and totally spiritually alive, but we rebelled in the garden. And as a result, we spiritually died because if we hadn't spiritually died in the garden, then there was a chance that we could eat the fruit of everlasting life, that eternal life and live eternally in our lost condition. And so God instituted his plan of salvation. But the reality is today, so many people are just under the influence and the sway of the world system. Do you know how powerful the media is in our lives? That if the media says this is what you should wear and this is how you should dress and this is the kind of car you should drive and this is what a popular job is or a house is or whatever. Even those of us as believers who are spiritually alive find that an incredibly powerful influence. But imagine when you're spiritually dead, the influence is irresistible. And that's the kind of world that we're living in. And Paul says, such were you. We were in the same situation. 
because we were spiritually dead under the control of the world. But secondly, he says that we were under the control of Satan, under the control of Satan. Look what he says in the second half of verse two. Not only were we under the control of the ways of this world, but also of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who now is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Now, obviously, this is a reference to the prince of the power of the air, just another of the biblical names for Satan. And the Bible says we were under his influence as well. We did not have the ability to resist that kind of sin like we do now. We were under the control of Satan and his influences. And thirdly, finally, Paul says we were under the control of our natural desires. Look at what he says in verse three. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. When we were spiritually dead, we just, if it felt good, we did it. In fact, that, that still is a very popular motto in the world today. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. If it's going to make your life better from your perspective, just go ahead and do it. Because after all, that's what life is all about, is making yourself happy and doing what you want. And when we're spiritually dead, we're completely and totally under the control of our physical, animal-like desires and lusts and to be gratified. And so we don't say no. We don't exercise the kind of self-discipline that maybe we should because, again, of that spiritual deadness. And obviously that's not true for those of us who've been transformed by the power of Christ, as we'll see in a minute. But the reality is the before picture of humanity is not a very attractive picture. It's one of the more ugly and disgusting pictures that you can really see. Human beings created and the likeness and the image of the living God. Defaced by sin. So that today we look out in the world and we see the most disgusting practices taking place and them being called good and okay and choices. We see war and conflicts all over the world, famine and greed and humans treating other humans in such despicable ways. It's just unimaginable. Before we were dead in our sins in our transgressions. How many of you remember the Charles Manson murders that took place down in the Los Angeles area in the late 60s? I think it was 1968, where Charles Manson had gathered a bunch of teen followers kind of during that hippie period. And they were all spaced out on drugs and looking for answers for life. They were dead in their sins and their transgressions. And yet there was that eternity that God had placed in their hearts that caused them to yearn for some kind of purpose and family and meanings. And they all hooked up with Charlie Manson and created the Manson family, a false family. But anyways, under the influence of drugs and a lot of mind control and a lot of other things under the influence of the world and the devil and their own desires, one evening they went out and created all kinds of mayhem and chaos in the lives of other people. And there was one of the members of that family named Charles Tex Watson, 
who under the influence of drugs became a manic murderer. And they went into the house of this Ted Leo and Rosemary LaBianca in Southern California. And they just blatantly butchered them, literally. In fact, Tex Watson actually took a butter knife out of their kitchen cupboards and carved words in their body and then took their blood and painted words on the wall. Die pigs. That was Charles Tex Watson, a young man who was absolutely and totally dead in his sins. He was under the control of his natural desires, under the control of this world system. And most of us have no problem seeing someone like Tex Watson or Charles Manson. We can identify them or a, or a Hitler, or maybe a Saddam and say there's someone dead in their sins. But you know what Paul says? Such were all of us. We were just as guilty as a Tex Watson or a Charles Manson or the most heinous murderer or killer that you can ever think. That's the before picture that Paul paints for us. But luckily, that's not where he leaves us because he paints an equally amazing after picture. And that's what I want us to look at now, because after he paints a picture of us alive with Christ, look at verses four through ten to see the details of our after picture. He says, but. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For now, he says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do no longer. Dead in our sins, no longer under the control of this evil world system or the prince of the power of the air, no longer even subject to the control of our own desires and wants. But now, Paul says, we are alive with Christ. You know, one of the most beautiful words in all of these 10 verses, you know, what the most beautiful word is, is that little conjunction. But at the beginning of verse four, but. Paul has just taken the first three verses to say how despicable, how dead, how spiritually, you know, just defaced we are. And then when it can't get any darker, all of a sudden Paul says, but indicating now I'm going to contrast everything I've just said with who you are in Christ. And Paul says, but you have been made alive. With Christ. Notice he doesn't say you've been made alive in Christ. He says you've been made alive with Christ because Christ, remember, died 
as a result of sin. He took all of our sin, all of the heinous acts we had done or ever would do, the entire human race, and it was that sin that killed him. God laid all of that sin on Christ, past, present, future, for all of humanity. And then God literally turned his back on the sun and it caused the the earth to go dark at noon and a giant earthquake to shake the earth because of God's judgment on all of that sin. But Christ didn't stay dead. He was dead and then he was made alive. In fact, when it says here made alive, it's a word that's that's used as a synonym for resurrection. He was resurrected, resurrected back to life. And Paul says we have been made alive with him. What Paul is saying is that when we trust Christ as our personal sacrifice for our sin and we confess our after our before picture and say, yes, that's who I am. That's what I'm like. But I want to trust Christ. Paul says at that moment, God makes us alive with him. Spiritually, as if when Christ rose out of that grave, we rose with him. And now, by faith in Christ, we are alive with him. It's amazing. And I can't help but think that as the Apostle Paul was writing these words, it was almost a personal memoir of sorts. Writing his own biography. Here was a young man who was a killer trying to stamp out the Christian faith, killing Christians. Stood by holding the coats of the murderers who stoned Stephen as he just stood there and watched. But now Paul was alive in Christ. He had experienced that incredible transformation. And Paul says, because we're alive in Christ, we're characterized by two things now. There are two things that really characterize us as people alive in Christ in our after picture. And the first thing is this. He says the first characteristic is we are seated with Christ. And Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Now, I want you to wrap your arms around that image this morning. Spiritually speaking, you, as a Christ follower, are already seated with Christ at the right hand of God the Father. And one day when you die because of Christ and your faith in Him, and as we've already talked about in previous sections of Ephesians chapter 1, because you're holy and blameless and clothed in His righteousness, one day when you die, you are going to physically be with Christ. In His physical resurrection body, you will be with Him as well. Right now, we continue to struggle on this physical earth, and there's this physical reality we deal with, but spiritually, we're already seated with Christ. The most amazing thing is when we were spiritually dead, we were under the influence of the devil and the world system. And now not only are we under the influence of God, we are seated with Christ at the right hand of God, the father and indwelt by the living spirit of Christ on earth. What an amazing makeover that is. But he says, secondly, there's a second characteristic, and that is that we are now God's handiwork. Look at what Paul says in, chapter, in, in verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what that word handiwork is literally? It is literally the word that we transliterate in English, poem. Poema, 
God's work, God's masterpiece of art. That's literally what it means. In fact, today we have poetry, which is one of the most beautiful creative arts. It's an incredibly passionate art form. Poetry expresses the inner passion of the writer, of the poet. Sometimes things that they just can't hardly articulate spills out in this poetry. And very often poetry is about love and those intense passions and emotions that just normal writing can't convey. Oftentimes it's about death and other things. But poetry expresses the passion of the poet. And Paul is saying right here to me and to you, you are God's poetry. You this morning are God's poem. You are an expression of his passion and his love and his incredible grace and mercy. We are living, walking pieces of art created intentionally by God to express his passion and his love and his mercy to this world. We are not accidents. In fact, Paul says, we are created anew in Christ Jesus as God's poetry. Why? To do all of the good things he created for us to do beforehand. Before we were even born, God created things for us to do as members of the church. To advance God's kingdom. To glorify him on earth. You are not a loser. You are not a sinner saved by the skin of your teeth. You are not a wretch. You are not totally dysfunctional and codependent. All the other labels that we end up carrying around in our lives that make us feel like dirt. You are God's poem. Poetry. Passion incarnate. A reflection of God to the world. Before we were dead in our sins and transgressions. And now we are alive in Christ, seated with Christ at the right hand of God the Father, and we are God's handiwork now. His poems reflecting His passion to the world through us. Remember I shared a little bit about Tex Watson, who was one of the murderers who personally killed Leo and Rosemary LaBianca carved words into their flesh and painted with their blood on their walls. Well, after about four years in prison, Tex Watson heard the gospel and came to Jesus Christ as his personal Savior in 1975. Tex Watson suddenly experienced the but of Ephesians 2.4. He had lived Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and then in prison, he suddenly experienced the but. You have been made alive in Christ. And in spite of his vile, grotesque sins, because of the great, amazing love and mercy and grace of God the Father, who can save and transform the vilest human being ever born, Tex Watson became alive with Christ. And a profane, drug-crazed, manic killer was master, I mean, just transformed into God's poem. God's passionate reflection. And in an article in Moody Monthly, 
Tex Watson wrote this about his transformation and who he is now. Tex Watson, that murderer, said, God and his love are greater than the madness of the world. One day God's kingdom will come down and it will be the city of God where the creator lives in the midst of his creation. And all evil, personal and corporate, seen and unseen, will be healed. In this present world of darkness and death, the only way to truly live is in Christ because he is the only true life there is. The only light in the darkness. A murderer transformed. By the love and the power of Christ and now God's handiwork. And for the last you know, 33 years, Tex Watson, though he's been in a human prison paying for his crimes, he's been in reality seated with Christ at the right hand of God the Father. He might physically be in prison, but he has experienced the most amazing makeover and is today alive with Christ. Let me share Just two action steps for us to engage in this week. And the first one is this. I'd really encourage you, if you haven't already, to identify one person you know who's without Christ. One person, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, a co-worker, someone that you, you know, walk with or play golf with or something like that. And for the next week, particularly every single day, that every single time that you see them, allow God to impress upon you the reality of their current condition. See, I think sometimes we look at people and on the surface they look so sharp, so smart, so beautiful and handsome, so together that we fail to realize the spiritual reality that they are literally spiritually dead. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to really convict us and move us with the hopelessness of their condition apart from Jesus Christ. And then I would encourage you to to pray Just silently pray that God would break into their world like he broke into the Apostle Paul's world, like he broke into Tex Watson's world, like he broke into my world and your world. And just pray that God and his grace and his mercy would break into their world and energize them spiritually so that they would be open to receiving the gospel of Christ so that they could experience this most amazing makeover. Focus on that this week. Really discipline yourself to see people as they truly are. And then pray that God would break in and that he would somehow use you as an instrument of his grace in their life. And then secondly, I'd encourage you to do this. And that is, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to read verses 4 through 10 of Ephesians 2 at least once every single day this week. Preferably in the morning. Very short. I mean, this is not going to take you a whole lot of time. You could do it over breakfast. You could do it, you know, put it on your mirror while you're brushing your teeth. But just read verses 4 through 10 at least once, preferably more, every single day this week. And then go out and live as if it were actually true. That's it. Just read it. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to life and then go out every single day when you leave your garage, when you get out of your car, you get out saying, I am God's poetry. I am an expression of God's passion and his love and his grace. And he's given me good things to do for him. He created and planned them even before I was born. It will change the way you live. It will change the way you interact with people. Every person is the possibility of a divine appointment of some sort. But you'll begin seeing yourself differently and you'll begin acting 
differently, acting like the poetry that you truly are. Let's just take a minute to thank God for this amazing makeover that all of us have experienced because of his great love and mercy. Father, there is absolutely no way that we can thank you for what you've done. In fact, Father, there's barely the ability to absorb and understand what you have done. But because your Holy Spirit indwells us, I pray that you would make this living truth come alive within us, that it would transform us from the inside out, that we might truly live as your church, advancing your kingdom, reflecting your love and glory. And Father, we will give you great praise and thanks for doing that in our lives. We ask it and trust you to do it in the matchless name of the living Christ. Amen.